Hello there, everyone. Welcome to the TSG Podcast. Just a huge disclaimer before we begin that all content produced on this channel is for education and entertainment purposes only. Enjoy the episode. There was one article we could mention. Um, just this article that, uh, an article from Coindesk, mm-hmm. that the sort of Davos World Economic Forum is happening this week. Oh, yes. And uh, they're talking a lot about cryptocurrency. So mm-hmm. that's definitely a hot topic. That was not a hot topic, you know, previously. Mm-hmm. So it, there's definitely a certain... Uh, cryptocurrency is graduating into the the big leagues as mm. it were. wow that's crazy how crypto just overtook this within a decade yeah so. yeah and i saw that um el salvador had a summit because mm-hmm. you know el salvador has uh bitcoin as legal tender along mm-hmm. with the u.s dollar they had a summit for essentially smaller countries that you know countries probably a bunch of countries that are that owe money to the IMF mm-hmm. that um, they essentially came for a, a summit. I think it was called like alternative finance or something mm-hmm. like that. But there was a lot of uh, discussion of Bitcoin there. They had 44 countries representatives of like central banks and finance people from 44 countries wow. go to uh, El Salvador to talk about that. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. You think you think that they will be able to convince the people at Davos about opening it up to as legal tender in their own country or what? I think I think a lot of the larger countries um, and European countries probably um, they're probably more interested in discussing central bank digital currencies. Got it. So um, and I don't know if I've shared my sort of hypothesis about central bank digital currencies, but essentially, so the idea is that the Euro or the dollar would be replaced by an electronic Euro or an electronic dollar. Mm -hmm. And there's different ways that this could actually be handled. Um, I think there's been uh, papers and releases from, from European groups like the bank of international settlements is a sort of the central bank of central banks mm-hmm. and they've released some ideas on uh central bank digital currencies that would include a lot of surveillance and it would be a fully centralized system pretty much like i mean they might have blockchain or something for to make it look centralized but it would essentially be a fully centralized system under the bank of international settlements and there would be um full financial surveillance and full basically they would have total power over all the wallets and the idea you know they could do a lot of creative things like they could have different interest rates for different people um you know some people could be could be given positive interest for saving money while other people could be given have money taken out if it's hmm. left sitting in their wallets there's all kinds of things they could do now i think that um American banks and the American Federal Reserve is probably less interested in doing it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they, I think what 
America is going to be looking at more is the possibility of having banks issue uh, crypto dollars like stable coins. I so see. essentially you could get a JP Morgan crypto dollar and it would just be a dollar essentially. Um, this kind of thing kind of already exists with um, stable coins. So there's Tether, which is a stable coin. There's the UST thing that blew up. That's a stable coin. Um, and there's one called USDC, which is run by a company called Circle. And they are very, they were very careful to be fully regulated and to be fully transparent with the regulators. And they may sort of end up being the first digital dollar for the US. I think they're they're basically paving the way for the model that's likely to come out in the United States. But that's just my hypothesis. The United States may also be looking at doing a more centralized uh, digital currency. But yeah, that's probably something that uh, they're talking a lot about at Davos. Making Bitcoin a legal tender is sort of an unusual move that would not... A lot of the larger companies, uh, I mean, a lot of the larger countries and European countries are probably not interested in making Bitcoin a legal tender, as far as I can tell now. Mm. But that could change. Well, we already know China's position. I mean, they're yeah. like, no, no Bitcoin, not yeah. having it. So, And China's pretty much first off the block with a central bank digital currency. They got the digital renminbi that's already kind of killing. Wow. Uh, How's that doing? I don't know the details. I think they launched it in like certain regions or something. Okay. Um, that might be something that I would like to uh, brush up on hmm. and talk in detail on a later podcast. But Attention, yeah, I know yes. they they pretty much uh, <clears throat> fast tracked the release of that, and I think uh, yeah, testing began in 2020. Wow. Um, as of April 2021, testing has expanded to six additional regions. I don't know. So what's the total? Hmm. Um, but yeah, so there's some there's some large cities and large regions in China that are... Um, oh, yeah. And then in March, testing was further expanded, March of 2022. So yeah, they're essentially rolling it out and slowly expanding it. Hmm. Um, yeah, very interesting. I mean, I would be, um, so I don't think those fully centralized uh, digital currencies are actually a good thing for humanity. I think they um, the, they just give the government too much power over people's money. Um, the surveillance, the ability to just pull money out of your wallet, uh, the ability to do different interest rates for different people, um, you know, in China, especially, I'd be really worried about that. But really, anywhere, I think it's mm. giving the government too much power. That's very interesting. Now, I I remember, I remember, I, I don't know where I've read this, but let me play devil's advocate really quickly, mm -hmm. okay? And I want to hear your thoughts because the argument that could be made, if you are for a centralized system. And this is more so on a perspective of what a country is in general, right? Mm -hmm. And so a country, at least from a governmental perspective, a country is only as efficient and only works 
as strong as the unity of its own citizens. Would you say that is somewhat correct? Um, maybe. maybe I'll go right? with it for now, but I think I might want to question that. I don't know. That's a big. That's that's a very. It, it, it's big one. It's one of those stuff. governmental philosophy. I remember reading it in some book where, where it, as long as a country has their own people unified with each other, then it's very hard to break break the country apart, right? And so... Yeah, yeah. I think there's different dimensions of unity. I think patriotism yeah. and sort of, especially in wartime. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And so the idea of having a, a, a centralized theme means that what the government is trying to do is to pretty much keeps keep everyone's thought patterns the same in, in relation to its own people right mm-hmm. versus getting influence from outside perspective and you know having influence about different ways of thinking which could disrupt the unity process and i i think i, I remember watching a news article or news uh i, I forgot what where they're saying, oh, yeah, you know, people in the West are influencing us, people in the East are influencing us, and this is causing a whole bunch of chaos. Uh, I don't recall uh, when I've watched that. I, I just remember it being in the back. And I wanted to know your thoughts, because if, if we're taking the devil's advocate approach, where, you know, the, the government's doing this to protect its own country, border, people, etc., would that be a bad thing? Or is that more so a good thing in the perspective of holding the border or holding the country, holding uh, the unity uh, of, of the people? Um, because the government initially, at least from a democratic viewpoint, the government is, is by the people, for the people kind of perspective, right? Philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. So if the government's for the people and it's made by the people in a democratic viewpoint, would that be a bad thing? Or is that actually a good thing in the long-term perspective? I know short-term, it might not be good because we're giving all of our freedoms. We're giving a lot of, a lot of um, uh, flexibility. We're invading privacy to the extreme parts of it. But in terms of having a safe country, safe environment for your own citizen, is that is that something that is a necessary evil? And you mean specifically in terms of having a digital currency? In terms of a digital currency, where you're watching people's wallet, watching people's you know income spending, etc. Uh, you know, just having it decentralized, right? Because again, if you have a decentralized currency where the government's no longer in control, that means you're able to spend it anywhere. And if you're able to spend it anywhere, that means you're able to get influence outside as well. And so this is extrapolating out in terms of, you know, what a free currency could mean or decentralized currency could mean. Um, Yeah, I think China definitely sees it that way. Right. Um, I think that's... The, I think that's the wrong way to go. Mm. Um, 
I think so. So first off, it's unprecedented. It's a level of economic control that's never been tried before. Okay. Um, and extreme levels of economic control have backfired a lot throughout history. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what happens is policymakers get too comfortable with the idea that they um, have solved the economic problem, that their technocratic genius is, um, is enough for them to essentially solve the economy. And so they look at the economy as something that they have total control over, total predictability. And if I start reaching into individuals' wallets in this way and that way, doing it en masse across hundreds of millions of people, that this is going to work fine and I'm just going to make the world a better place by doing that. Um, I think that is very likely to cause problems. So the sort of fundamental way of a market economy's operation is the idea that I know the things that I want and I know the things that I have and I'm willing to go into the market and make trades based on my own needs and wants. Mm-hmm. And I have I have a level of understanding about my own needs and wants that no one could ever come close to. Mm. And so then I come in contact with this other person who's selling something. They understand their own needs and wants on a level that nobody else could. Mm-hmm. And we will agree on a price for a thing. Mm-hmm. And so prices are these information connections that spread, you know, it's like a network across the entire economy that is operating through these information connections that is able to coordinate uh, human activity on a level that we had never been able to coordinate it previously. Um, It enables just an amazing level of human flourishing by what we've been able to accomplish through all these market activities. well, here's my here's my other devil's advocate for that scenario. Mm-hmm. So say that we're able to trade between just two individuals, right? Mm-hmm. And we agree on a price. Now, what happens when we don't agree on a price and say that the individual just the, that's selling the product that I need is outrageously putting a monop- monopolistic price on it? Say that, you know, say that you were selling a, a car, you know, and it's a decent sized car, average, average car, and you wanted to purchase it for 30,000, right? USD. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about digital coin, but let's assume that it's equivalent to 30,000 USD. But the person who is selling it doesn't want to sell it to you at all. But because you want to purchase that car, the person now says, well, I want to I want to sell it to you for 120,000. And that's my agreed price. And if you never come to agreement, they are the only ones that sells that, then doesn't it break down? Um, Right? Because that person could easily be like, oh, this other person is my friend. I want to sell it to him for 10,000. You're you're 120. So 
is there such a, I mean, is there a way to control the pricing fluctuations from that or no? Would that, would that even be an issue or, or am I just overthinking? Because I, I can see greed coming in. And if there's something that you don't like about another person and say that this is a, a decentralized form of trading, right? I, I could see an issue like that coming up. Um, which issue exactly are you pointing at? The mon- monopolistic uh, bias selling. Um, or am I just overthinking that? That's like a, a thing that would never happen. So I think markets do have issues mm-hmm. that would need to be addressed and monopoly would be one of them. Yes. So uh, definitely we would want to uh, break up monopolies. Um, yeah. And you also mentioned the idea of need. Mm-hmm. Like, so yeah, people beyond absolute food, shelter, and clothing mm-hmm. need can become kind of subjective actually like mm-hmm. there's need need but then outside of that there's you could almost need. call a lot of economic desires are like strong wants yes and weak wants you know yes. and then people calibrate their wants based on how much they're willing to pay mm-hmm. so like if a guy won't sell you a car in a lot of cases you can find a car that will work for you you know yeah um now, but what if everyone in your general area isn't selling you a car for the price that you deem to be reasonable for both parties, right? Say that you're just locked in an area geographically and the only vendors available that could sell it to you aren't going to sell it to you for that certain price. So we're getting into like the idea of monopolies again, right? They're all jacking up the price. They're like, no, we agree that the price of a car should be a hundred thousand, not, not 30,000. So, and because it's decentralized, so there is no, uh, uh, and again, correct me if I'm using the decentralized terminology wrong, but there is no regulations at that point if it's completely decentralized, right? Because there's uh, theoretically should be no government intervention. It's and it's an agreement between two people, mm-hmm. right? So I, I I mean at least I could see that being an issue, right? People are going to exploit the system and they're going to try to make as much money digitally, etc. Now it might never happen. And I could be just in a total hypothetical extreme case, right? But if it's if it's complete decentralized, that that's something that again, this is the reason why I'm like trying to understand more about the coin-based Bitcoin type of world is is answering these types of problems or these types of questions that pop in my mm-hmm. brain. And if I'm overthinking it, Sean, let me know. <laughs> no, I so. think I think the monopoly concern makes a lot of sense. I think there is something awesome about the combination of a democracy mm-hmm. and a market economy. Okay. Because we have been able to reduce the monopoly issue. Yes. Um, with, with tech, we may be moving into a new era of monopolies where they have to, uh, you know, get creative and sort out some new kinds of monopolies. But mm-hmm. historically, um, you know, the U.S. government has done things like break up AT&T. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I think in the very early 1900s, there was a lot of sort of monopoly busting. And that um, 
has promoted the health of the market. So I'm not saying that zero intervention is the ideal intervention. Oh, okay. Um, what bugs me about central bank digital currencies is the intensity, the level of detail of the interventions and the um, and the fact that it's unprecedented that this level of adventure intervention has never happened before. And then I would add all that to the Chinese system mm. and the fact that their system uh, has limited space for people's individual freedom already. Mm. And so I can see that turning into a very oppressive and difficult system. Uh, something that could be politically stable, right? Maybe um, maybe something like three to 5% of the Chinese population would be uh, hit with massive injustice mm-hmm. that other people would kind of not notice and then would just go about their lives and, and go along with the system and go along with the political story and it would be fine. But I would still look to those people who are being hit with injustice and, and wish that that wasn't happening. Mm. Well, I, I want to add this, and it's just because I'm trying to understand more of the Eastern culture. And this is my understanding from watching, researching YouTube and reading different autobiographies. But um, Chinese, at least the Chinese culture is very delved deeply into Confucianism, right? Mm-hmm. And before the era of Confucian, there, the China was actually broken up into multiple provinces that was always at a war-torn state. And so there's always huge amount of conflicts between uh, each province. And that was pretty much a huge chunk of history for China itself. And so I would, I would, I would take a guess that the reason why they want a unified mentality or unified thinking is to prevent an event like this from occurring again, where the whole entire country of china gets broken up to multiple provinces which makes them ultimately weaker to foreign invaders uh just because there's a lot of civil conflict within itself and when there's a lot of war and torn conflict within itself it's very hard to allocate resources to both protect from foreign invaders and internal invaders and so at least that's the way i'm reading about it the way that i'm seeing it and that could be their reasoning for their means of method i mean again you're looking at a couple billion people you know uh inside china alone i mean china is extremely heavily populated and so to keep everyone in control in in terms of not having the provinces break up again and the whole country going under civil uh, dis, uh unrest it, it could just be they don't want that event to happen again at least that's what played in their history before I don't know too much, okay? I, and this is me just explaining to everyone here what I'm currently understanding and reading about. I don't know if it's true. Again, it could be extremely biased. It could be, you know, uh, I could be getting my information wrong. But in terms of trying to understand the mentality of it, that to me makes the most sense so far. I haven't found another different type of thesis yet to explain that extreme type of regulation or that extreme means of of control what are your thoughts 
Um, yes, I think that definitely plays into the Chinese mentality. Um, the Confucianism that you brought up plays into the Chinese mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's probably another aspect of it that Americans may have a hard time seeing, which is uh, Chinese philosophy actually has a deep tradition of sort of libertarianism and actually mm-hmm. letting people not being a harsh master, you know, part of mm. uh, almost a Confucian tradition even would be that like, yeah, the top person, whether it's the, the patriarch of the family or the, the leader, mm-hmm. it is their job to be in charge and, and rule over everyone and everyone should defer to them. However, they almost in some ways would be told to be careful and to have a light touch. Mm. And this balancing act between obedience coming up from the bottom mm-hmm. and then freedom being granted down from the top mm-hmm. i think that is um part of what they would strive for and that's kind of the opposite of uh, almost the way westerners would think of it as people from the bottom are trying to gain their freedom mm-hmm. people from the top are trying to exert control I think in China, what they've been able to accomplish since the Soviet era Mm -hmm. is they've been able to accomplish a lot by letting go of control somewhat, Mm -hmm. right? In a very measured and calculated way, uh, letting go of control, but letting go of control pretty solidly right Mm -hmm. like they were a full-on communist country and then they literally just let full-on capitalism blossom there and so that shows that they're uh overall i think what they're striving for is pragmatism Mm -hmm. and so i think the idea with the central bank digital currency might be they want the ability to exert a variety of control but they're also probably going to be aware that there are risks there. And mm-hmm. so in theory, they could finesse it and they would not exert control unless they knew that that would be a good idea. Hmm. Um, now, of course, to me, that's kind of like, um, I don't know what I would call it. That would be like <laughs> like riding a bull that's, that's going to throw you off sometime within the next minute and if you're lucky you know you can stay on for another 20 seconds like i would i would consider that to be taking an extreme risk with society i kind of the way i look at uh say you know china compared to the united states and again this comes from my american background but i just look at uh the united states in a lot of ways being more resilient Mm. because it is less controlled from the top down and so and even the risk of it breaking apart is not like a huge concern to me what would be a huge what having you know looking back on the 20th century Mm -hmm. a much bigger risk would be the risk of tyranny and genocide and just you know a lot of the horrible things that happened in the 20th century happened under highly centralized rule Mm. and america has sort of a built-in defense against those problems with its uh 
level of decentralization. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I think this is uh, going to be a good uh, spot to stop for today. We'll just leave it at that. I mean, that, that's a lot of info to take in. Mm-hmm. And it, it's really interesting how different cultures, different philosophies blossom uh, or just come about. And the solution of one culture might work for another culture, at least in the case of Lee Kuan Yew in Singapore. I mean, his philosophy was find a model that works and do it, right? Even if Mm -hmm. it's a different culture. And a lot of his uh, success came from the U.S. influence. I mean, that's how he built Singapore was based on U.S. uh, methodology. Uh, Granted, even though he's from an Eastern culture where, you know, it's heavily Confucius, but he adopted a lot of U.S. principles. and, And so that's what I'm seeing today. And I'm thinking that I need to sit down and absorb what you just said to fully paint a better picture, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Because, again, what I'm researching is what I can find on YouTube, what I can read, get my hands on to read. And I personally don't know. And so just trying to understand it more, that that, that is the whole point, right? So, Mm -hmm. but anyways, I think this is a good place to stop. What do you think? Uh, yeah yeah all right so thank you everyone so much for staying tuned to this interesting tangent that we had we went on articles news articles and then all of a sudden we went into politics and and a little bit of governmental philosophy so this this was a really interesting podcast today <laughs> yep. so uh anyways Thank you guys so much for listening. If you have any comments or uh, anything that you would like to say, please write it down in the comments section uh, of this podcast or even on Apple, uh, wherever you were able to get the podcast. Uh, and uh, don't forget to share, like, and follow. Yeah. And until then, we'll see you guys in the next episode. And don't forget, don't trade your dollar for a penny. Take care, everyone. See ya.